Superman and the Metal Men. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Bass. Taking you through a classic superhero team up, Superman and the Metal Men from DC Comics Presents number four, cover dated December of 1978. And the Metal Men are sort of destined to team up with Superman several times over the next decade. How you been doing, Bass? Very good. I'm sounding well, don't you think? This is my yeah. new little home studio. I kind of want to see it. You need to invite me to your place. <laughs> it's it's not as fancy as it sounds, but uh, you know, just a, little, uh, a nice mic and a nice little uh, nice little thing, and uh, I'm sounding good. Yeah, you sound great. You probably sound better than I do. I don't know how I sound until I listen to myself afterwards. But I'm pretty sure <laughs> you're the better voice here. All right, so we preface obviously with reasons why we like the guest characters, and I'm asking you, what's so great about the Metal Men? You know what? I like them. Uh, since the 60s, the Metal Men have been, you know, a cool science-based, fun, family-type group. And I really enjoy that. I mean, we get heroics and we get to learn a little bit about chemistry. So, huh? <laughs> it's true. It was very educational in its way. I personally, I like heroes that transform to different shapes. It can create a lot of interesting visuals. It's like having Plastic Man six times uh, and each one has their own gimmick. And oh, metallic yeah. properties. So, yeah. Who's your favorite metal man? I think I'm partial to Mercury. Because oh, yeah. he's, yeah, he's, you know, he's the grouchy one. He has this long nose. He's funny looking. I like him. <laughs> I think I like Tina. I like Platinum. <laughs> you know, they do the most with her, I feel. Like, yeah, even, yeah. even though, when, especially in the early days, it's a little bit one of those uh, girls are icky kind of things from the yeah. Silver Age. They know that little boys are reading the comics, and so she throws herself at Doc Magnus, and, he, and he's cold to it because he's the stand-in for the little boy reading. You of know? course, yeah, yeah. But there's a goofy charm to that. I like. It's one of the relationships that I do like. They mostly have distinct personalities. I think gold is a little generic, but the other ones, you know, tin is kind of fun, lead is lead and iron, you know. I like the way the personalities... They're, they're taken from the metals themselves, you know. I mean, gold, a bit generic because he's a bit superficial, you know. He's he's just good looking. He's pliable and he's he's worth a lot. I mean, he's gold, but, you know, he's a bit superficial. He's the leader because, you know, it leads the economy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, steel is this strong. He's iron. Iron, yes. Sorry. Steel is an alloy. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, iron is, you know, <laughs> strong and tough, but. I mean, he's going to rust 78 times in these comics because <laughs> that's his big weakness, right? Yeah. Uh, lead, his, I mean, he's uh, strong and, and uh, heavy, but kind of slow and kind of dumb. You know, I, I just like how the personalities really match the metal. Tin is brittle and mercury is mercurial. You know, that's why he's yeah, also yeah. so angry. Yeah. No, it's it's a really fun concept. And it, and we'll kind of see why as we go into publication history, like their genesis. Uh, let me start off here. They were created by Robert Kaninger and Ross Andrew for showcase number 37. It was March, April 1962. Apparently, as a last-minute filler. So, uh, huh. <laughs> yeah. So really? Gold, iron, lead, mercury, tin, platinum were all there. Their inventor, Doc Magnus, they appeared in the next three issues of that book. And I guess we're a surprise hit or enough of a hit spinning out into their own bi-monthly series, which lasted 41 issues from 1962 to 1969. They were always around. By that point, 
it wasn't so popular, I suppose, because they were canceled in the middle of a storyline. Well, that happens. It happens twice for them, because in 1973, Metal Men started again from their original numbering, so from 42 on, three reprints of the showcase material, and then we wait until 1976, and we get a short run of 12 bi-monthly issues, that's still two years, at which point the DC implosion catches up to our robot heroes, and they're canceled again. Uh, and throughout this part of the career, they teamed up with other heroes fairly frequently, like they do here. They win Brave and the Bold a number of times, etc. Uh, there are lyrics to an early collaboration between Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart that's been traced <laughs> to the Metal Men. I want to put this in, in the history. Beefheart improvising the lyrics to a jam session that was later released as Metal Man Has Won His Wings found uh, an issue of the comic book hanging on a Bolton board in the studio. And he used passages from the story and from an advertisement for an upcoming release of Hawkman as lyrics. And I'll play a bit from it at the very end of the show as sort of the blooper or the tag. Bonus points to any super nerd who manages to identify the exact issue it's based on. But it's, it's kind of <laughs> hard to hear because he's really just, you know, it's like jazzy lyrics coming in within the, the jam. So, But if you can oh, wow. spot the lyrics, and I'll, I'll use the part that has the most lyrics, you can sort of tell it's from a comic. If you know which one, there's no prize except... Pride. Pride in your work. Bragging rights, I guess. And uh, another part of the history, which comes before 1990, after which I let Bass uh, take over, due to the success of the Superman-Aquaman hour of adventure in the 1960s, Filmation mm -hmm. planned to produce pilots for multiple DC heroes, and one of the concept drawings featured the Metal Men. So those plans were canceled when CBS secured the animation rights to Batman in the wake of ABC's then-current success with the Batman live-action television series. I know they'll show up much later, of course, in Brave and the Bold, but uh, I let Bass get us there as we head into the 90s, Bass. Oh, my. There's so much stuff, and it's sporadic. It's all over the place, because in 1993, The Metal Man's origin is retconned in a four-issue miniseries. That's where people's minds and consciousnesses were transferred via the responsometer into The Metal Man's bodies. That's where, originally, Doc Magnus becomes Viridium. Uh, the Dan Jurgens miniseries, I remember it well. And then in uh, 2007, Duncan Rulo has a run on The Metal Man. He reverts the retcon back to the original origin blames the whole 1993 story on a psychotic break, quote unquote, that Doc Magnus had. Honestly, this story is quite incredible. I mean, it's based on Grant Morrison's ideas. Uh, we go through time and find different iterations of the metal men, a, a bunch of designs, all kinds of stuff. I am so getting this thing in paper for my bookshelf. I read it on my tablet, but oh. This is going in my, my bookshelf for real. It has this big, bad Nameless. So Nameless is a little something that the Metal Men fans know about. Yeah, because it was a character in the, the 60s that was a Nameless robot. Uh, nameless is going to be everywhere. She was like Tin's girlfriend in the original comics. But Nameless becomes a thing, but uh, always a big baddie. Okay. For some odd reason. Okay. 2011, The Metal Man uh, has a 100-page spectacular by uh, Keith Giffen from the Justice League that you all know and love. And if you love the Justice League, you're going to love this compendium of, of stories. It's just uh, they're basically loose stories from The Metal Man. It feels like Booster Gold and Blue Beetle crossed with some Doctor Who weirdness. 
and the Metal Men. The Bwahaha Metal Men. And they were, I think that it, those stories were collected from a backup in, man, I want to say Doom Patrol. There was also Wednesday Comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's sophomoric. I totally love this. 2016, the Metal Men have, well, they share a bit of the spotlight with Other Legends of Tomorrow, uh, which is an anthology book. There are six issues. They had some Firestorm in there, some Metamorpho, Sugar and Spice, and The Metal Men. And we have a great story from Len Wein. Who also wrote the issue we're going to look at today. So Exactly. They compiled it all into one trade paperback. It's called Metal Men Full Metal Jacket. It's a story about cyber terrorism, heroism, trust. We have guest stars in this uh, from other comics, like uh, all robot-based superheroes like Cyborg, uh, Cliff Steele from, uh, from the Doom Patrol, Robot Man, an evil red tornado, which is great. I think my favorite red tornado yet. And uh, some new metal men, yeah, including Copper, another lady metal man. It's a fun run. We have, you know, Chemo or Chemo. I don't know how to say. I'm going to be saying Chemo. Chemo? We're going to say Chemo. Then. Yeah, I think some people might say Chemo. But yeah, that, that sounds like a treatment. Yeah, yeah I, I don't want to say that word. So yeah, chemo, <laughs> yeah. chemical, chemo. Yeah, so chemo uh, is in that, which is, I mean, he's one of the big baddies from the Metal Men. And of course, another nameless, oh. I know, and uh, that nameless, another uh, big baddie. And in this one, the Metal Men get a redesign at the end of the run, and it's just awful. It's the worst redesign of the metal men it's boring it's joyless thing is i really liked the rulos design anime style you know it it felt international every character really had a different design and it was fun in this one they were all like meh like tronish i don't know i didn't like (laughs) okay and then we go forward to 2019 12 issue maxi series of the middlemen i guess questions what it is to be sentient we have some shakespearean imagery with doc magnus holding dead half skull of mercury in his hand and anyway, it's it's a bit dark dr magnus you know revealing that the middlemen were never really alive and and then we get to see the fabled Nth Metal Man, uh, because we need Nth Metal everywhere, of course. We have some Dark Universe in there. He's sent from the Dark Universe. We have a bit of Transformers Beast Wars in there. We have Beast Metal Men, like animals. It's a bit mixed up. It's a, a quite a long read. It's a 12-issue maxi-series that, in my opinion, could have been a six-issue okay, <laughs> series. Yeah. I mean, there's a bit of Voltron in there, because the Metal Men finally become alloy uh, this combination of all the metal men from uh, kingdom come that's how they get to beat one of the evil metal men plutonium well you did a lot of reading let's look at this story it's called sunstroke it's written like like we said by len ween with art by jose luis garcia lopez praise, praise be his, his name, name. An unseasonable heat wave has hit Metropolis this autumn, and its citizens have taken to the beaches. It's so hot, people are fainting from too much sun. And is the ocean boiling? No, it's the colossal chemical catastrophe called Chemo, (laughs) walking out of the water. He stands there, dripping for a minute, and then spits chemical fire that fuses the sand into glass and walks towards the city towards Metropolis, where right this minute, the metal men are playing tennis next to a junkyard. They spot the monster and stretch over to attack it. 
They don't make a dent. When Gold suggests Tin and Tina turn into a rain of metal flakes to smother Camo, they find they can't and that something is wrong with their responsometers. Camo leaves them buried in the melted frame of a building set for demolition. Iron turned into a protective canopy, so they dig themselves out and find that Camo went underground and they lost him. Meanwhile, video journalist Clark Kent is aboard an airplane test flight over the ocean when a gigantic water spout pops up. He feigns airsickness to change into Superman, and when he tries to use heat vision to evaporate the spout, he finds his own powers to be unreliable. A second spout pops up, so he opts for spinning at such a speed, he redirects one liquid tornado into the other and disrupts them both. Needing to find out what's happening to his powers, he heads over to Star Labs where scientist Jeanette Clyburn is already examining the Metal Men. The robots are big fans of the Man of Steel and swamp him with love and attention while they wait for their results, which are connected to a powerful magnetic beam that's being shot from Earth into the heart of the sun, which has created intense sunspot activity and disrupted these heroes' powers. It also explains the unseasonal weather, so it's decided they must find the source of this electromagnetic beam. In an isolated observatory, the man behind the entire situation is Ira Quimby, better known as IQ. With his superior intellect and mental abilities, he brings Kemo to him to help finish his master plan. Because after shooting an energy beam with his magnetic cannon, patent pending, into the heart of the sun, for the purpose of increasing the sun's powers and thus increasing his super sun-powered intellect, IQ now found an error in his calculations, and by shooting the energy beam with its magnetic cannon, patent pending, he disrupted the sun's eternal balance, and the sun was going to go nova. To fix his mistake, IQ needed chemo, or should I say chemo's incredible chemical structure to create a new beam, a chemical energy beam patent pending, into the sun to regulate and keep the sun from exploding. While the metal men and the man of steel are finding the source of the electromagnetic beam, iron acting like a magnet and mercury acting like a jerk, well, he doesn't seem to like Superman all that much, actually. Uh, they find the observatory and IQ pressing the button on the magnetic cannon patent pending. The camel beam is heading towards the sun, eight minutes away at light speed. Superman, with his real super sun-powered intellect, find a misplaced decimal point. Thank God, IQ shows his work in, in math, right? That's why we show our work. That's And while trying to correct his mistake, IQ's camo beam will ignite the sun and blow it up. Superman, showing his speed, rushes to catch up to the beam and intercepts the camo beam and saves the entire solar system. Superman going at faster than speed of light here. His brave and heroic deed renders him unconscious in space where no one can hear you anything. No, nobody can hear in space. That's how that works. The beam breaks a chemo into six smaller chemos. IQ, incapable of controlling six of the chemical titans, is attacked and they shoot him with their mouth chemical beam things and uh, transform IQ into a stone statue. The metal men jump into action, but the six camos, chemies, chemoses, they all merge back into one big chemo. Superman arrives just in time to kick chemos' butt and throws him into space where he explodes and protects the earth while the sun returns to normal. It's a weird thing where, you know, when chemo 
explodes, he becomes like this big, huge ozone layer? I don't know. And they go back home and Superman gets the girl. Well, I, I didn't miss a couple things there. Superman also operates on the dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. He operates on the dead metal men and tries to fix them. And then they all come back. The day is saved. It was a weird turn of events there. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, we're going to talk about all of this and more. But we usually start by discussing the cover. Oh, yeah. The covers are always quite incredible. This one has this huge fight scene that we wished we had in the comic because we never get to see this exact fight scene. The lines are incredible. Uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, uh, he's just thing. incredible. He's just incredible. There's a tilt, so to make it more dynamic, and you, so you know, you got chemo spitting chemicals at Superman, who is like front and center, and of course the colors really pop. They've had they've got this like very dark background. Somebody has put a almost a black coloring. I don't know what to call that, but it's like a black coloring over. There is the bridge there, uh, but that's covered up so that the characters pop more. What I especially like is the personalities he gives to the metal men. Like, Tin is freaking out very comically, yep. you know, as a cartoon character. Iron is pulling or pushing back the thumb because he's in the hand. And uh, the other metal men are all stuck in the same hand, the other hand. And, you know, struggling each in their own way. Or Tina's kind of being sexy. Uh, Mercury <laughs> is splashing because he's liquid. And you got all the metal men right underneath Superman. They each get their shot. They're all about the same size uh, with Superman, obviously the hero. It really works. I mean, there's a caption. If the men of steel or the men of metal fail to stop Chemo, none of us will be around to find out how this story ends. And it's that's actually true. This is a crisis. I mean... I Justice League type stuff. No, definitely. And they're nowhere to be seen. There's a lot of people missing in this. <laughs> I don't mean the Justice League. That's fine. We'll, we'll talk about the the real missing element in a couple minutes. First, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Camo. He is the Metal Men villain. I mean, I guess it became Nameless later. <laughs> nameless became the, the Metal Men villain, apparently. But, uh, you know, it's Camo in Action Comics number 590, when post-crisis Superman first teams up with the Metal Men as well. He's a great threat. And he appeared like, I think, three, four times uh, in the original strips. Camo is that threat that is obviously related to the Metal Men, but that can be a threat to Superman. You know, it's like he's, he's a giant. He's got the, the, those chemicals that could actually do kind of anything. We're not sure. So to me, this is a good matchup, you know, like if you're going to have Superman team up with the Metal Men, it kind of has to be Camo. Oh, yeah, definitely. And Camo also kind of represents that in the imagery of this, you know, if Superman represents strength and hope and, and you know, humanity, Camo is this impending doom. We all know that everything's made up chemicals, you know, it's all chemistry. But Camo is this representation of that evil stuff you know the stuff it's pollution it's 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 bad uh, it's poison he's a chemical spill inside a humanoid bottle he seems overpowered but he actually is exactly where camo should be and i really like this matchup uh, we need like a godzilla <laughs> you know we need, like, yeah. we need like a godzilla uh camo battle or something <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, the Metal Men are also team-up favorites because I mentioned that they, they teamed up with Superman before uh, after this. This is their first team-up. But there's another issue of DC Comics Presents 
one of the first ones I'd bought when I was a kid in the early 80s was with mm-hmm. the Metal Men. He's twice also in the burn run of Action Comics when that was a team-up book. And I think they're the only ones that return. It wasn't that long a run. So, And then, well, a whopping nine times in Brave and the Bold where they team up with Batman. Not necessarily Batman. I think there's one with Metamorpho. Like the early issues weren't necessarily Batman. Okay. But they appear in nine team-ups wow. from the late 60s to the early 80s. So I think people just like to use them. They're a fun you know, idea for a team up. They kind of pop up everywhere. I mean, we, we did the uh, publishing history, but, you know, they pop up in almost every crisis. They're not always front and center, but they're always around. I mean, they are part of the DC universe. It's like uh, somebody guest starring in the Fantastic Four. You know, it's it's always fun. Let's look at the issue itself. So it starts, I think, I, I don't know. I think JLGL is doing this every issue maybe because... Again, we get this split-screen splash page to start it off. I am wondering what Superman's arm is doing. It seems to be doing, like, rotations. <laughs> I think he he's what? trying to hit... He's trying to hit this meteor-type thing that's coming up, I guess. Which is the chemo beam, as we'll find out. It's either that, or he's, like, breaking because he went to, he was going so fast and he's going, whoa, he's, you know, trying to flap his arms. It's an odd yeah. motion line. I don't know, but uh, but, you know, we get that, and on the other side, we get a battle between uh, the Metal Men and Camo. We don't know how these threats are connected. Obviously, they will be, but it's showing all of that. You know, as usual, we get a, a strong starter. Again, I've said this before. I'm wondering, are they almost working with the Marvel method in some of these cases? Because, or did, did the editor decide, this is how we're going to do the splash pages, no matter what. So, Len, you write this splash page, even though you haven't written for DC Comics Presents before. It's always been like a different <laughs> writer. This is how we're going to do it, because I want Garcia Lopez to do it this way. Maybe that's it. I think it's always like a strong opener. Definitely. This one, though, has a future reference in the story, you know, because... Yeah, usually we have something where, you know, one hero is in one place and the other Mm -hmm. hero is in another place. But this one is like a glimpse. It's a foreshadowing of what's coming. We don't know yet that that's the camel beam. Yeah, it's the trailer. Yeah, exactly. It's the trailer. As chapter one begins, a titan stalks the streets. Uh, it actually stalks the beach first. So we get we get <laughs> one of these moments. We'll, we'll talk about it later as well. But we get one of these moments where uh, JLGL puts a lot of people in the frame. We're just seeing normal citizens. There's all sorts of body types. They're, they're all very expressive. He puts a lot of work in what would be like a crowd scene. Like, we don't know anyone. We don't care about anyone. But he makes it so... It looks like a good cross-section of humanity. He did that in the uh, the issue where we talked about, you know, on that street where um, uh, Adam Strange appears. It's kind of like that. It's like, well, I'm, we're seeing the beach next to Metropolis, and there's a lot of activity. He puts a lot of work in just like this, this these little moments where other artists might have just scribbled something where we don't we don't really need to see the details, right? He's caring. He actually cares about this scene. You know, we have a lady with curlers in her hair, you know, <laughs> that's right. And, and, and we have bikini and, and, you know, six pack type people, but we have all types of peoples of, I mean, it's, it's a very nice scene. Kids and all sorts. And, uh, and there's one Clark Kent looking dude, but then when you look closer, he's got uh, male pattern baldness. So, it's not him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as usual, we just he differentiates people. And a shout out to the colorist who was um, 
Glynis Ween, Len Ween's spouse, and she puts, you know, different skin tones as well. Most people are white. Of course. That's the 60s. Well, this is 1978. But 78? Oh, well, 70s. (laughs) Okay, but there are some characters who do not have that skin color and don't necessarily need to have a different skin color. You know, it's not like they have, like, there's there's a man there with an afro, so, okay, you understand he's African-American. But uh, there's a woman in that first panel who is colored as the colored Indian people. I think that's that's the color tone that they used on Celsius in the Doom Patrol, for example. You know, she went out of her way to make sure there's a little more diversity in that crowd as well. So she's working in tandem with JLGL on that front. Some people were uh, before their time. Comics don't like to show people who are overweight or, you know, everybody's got like this are perfect physical specimens. And on the beach, you would imagine that that would be quite a lot, but he's showing people who are overweight and not all overweight the same way. You know, there's a lot of representation. And it's not in a goofy way. You know, it's not to make people laugh. They're just people in that situation, in that moment. Being a, you know, a bigger guy, I really enjoy that. (laughs) Uh, So Kemo, who is a bigger, the biggest guy. Yeah. <laughs> he walks across the beach. He spits at it for no reason. I guess he's making a road for himself. He doesn't want to sink in the sand. Uh, he makes a glass walkway. Uh, and he walks past the metal men. Now, so here, okay, so the metal men live in Metropolis. This is not information I was privy to. But okay, maybe at this point, my big problem and they live in near or in a junkyard. I don't know. I couldn't check the, the comics of the era to know if there was something going on. Or not, but Doc Magnus is missing from this story. Yeah, he's not around. Now, later, they say he's in Europe for something. Like there was a, a storyline when the storyline that got interrupted in the late '60s had him go rogue. Okay, but then when the series started over, which is still a couple years before this, he was back in the fold. So he he came yeah. back. He's in their lives, but I guess maybe he's at a conference. Uh, this will become more important later. Like, why why don't they go get Doc Magnus at this point? Because they're going to have problems with their responsometers. And at no point does anyone call Doc Magnus. (laughs) Even though you've got Superman who can, at super speed, get Doc Magnus from anywhere on Earth. Um, (laughs) You know, at the end when he operates on the Metal Men, that's like, dude, and he's not sure they're going to make it. Well, yeah. Maybe you needed Doc Magnus. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of, I don't want to say plot holes, but. You know, plot holes in this thing. But it's it's not supposed to be super airtight and smart. It's just supposed to be a fun romp, right? So there's a lot of um, suspension of disbelief. So they're playing tennis. It's gold and platinum. They're playing tennis. Tin is the, the net. Uh, holding the post or lead and iron. Mercury's the ball and complaining about it. You know, so this is a, a traditional Metal Men moment where it's just whimsical yeah. and silly. And then Kemo shows up and they have to fight him, you know, obviously. Hey, it's the weekend. Let's play tennis. At a tennis court? No, no, no. We'll do our own tennis court. They get beaten up by Kemo, you know, it's not... Uh, and this is usual. The Metal Men are these characters who get melted down all the time. Uh, you know, they get destroyed yeah. at the end of many stories. And then Doc Magnus has to put them back together. <laughs> it happens yeah. a lot. And in this case, it's too early for them to be melted. But it's not going well. I want to address... All the places, I mean, they say, first of all, the tennis match is supposed to be happening, according to a caption, in the heart of the city, but it's, it's a junkyard. So, and the skyline is in the background. We're looking at a slum, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's not the heart of the city. But also, I want to address how many places are set for demolition in Metropolis, because Gotham City is well known for having all these abandoned amusement parks and wax museums. 
you know, yeah, like the, yeah. the entertainment industry in Gotham uh, had a big boom and then crashed and it left all these places vacant for supervillains. In yeah. Metropolis, the trope is Superman always avoids destruction of property and potential deaths. So he's always yeah. bringing villains to buildings set for demolition. So you get your destruction, but there's never anyone in the buildings. And uh, it was always set for demolition. Yeah. And so this corner of the city is as well. <laughs> How much of Metropolis <laughs> is always on the cusp? I mean, is Metropolis... It's a booming town. It's always going to be more high rises, more new places. You know, it's always going to be clean because we're demolition. <laughs> there's demolition for every building that's a little too old. Now, this building's been up here like three years. It's uh, it's starting to show wear <laughs> yeah. and tear. Basically, Metropolis is somebody playing Sim City <laughs> yeah. and just destroying spaces and and making room for stuff. And 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 I mean, it's fine. I think Superman gets. Uh, a cut on these demolitions, you know, <laughs> and probably sends it to an orphanage or something. Yeah, that's how he pays the rent. You know, he brings down some buildings. The demolition crews are like, "Hey, Superman, thanks," and they give him a little something off the top. And you journalism know. is just a sideline. It's just a sideline. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of journalism, this test flight, which also includes a stewardess. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's funny to me that she's on the plane. But evidently, you look at that plane, it looks like a Concorde type. It is. And the actual thing, yeah. uh, the actual Concorde had its first flight in 1969. So now we're in 1978. Oh. But it wasn't introduced to commercial flight until 1976. So that's just a couple of years hmm. before. And so it might be in the public consciousness. Uh, the last one was built in 1979. And they only ever built 20. Now, in 1978... Concorde was in the news because one aircraft crashed during a test flight. So they were just still like making maybe new prototypes over Russia at that time. So I think this may have inspired this element of the story because when you, you know, if it, if December is the covered date, then it actually came out in September. So it's probably being written around that time or in April or May or something. Wow. Yeah, I think that this is that, yeah. This is like a alternate reality of that test flight maybe like they don't name concord obviously you're not, you're not gonna name of course it. Not. and in this case the plane does not crash you know there's water spouts and superman does super many things maybe that was just in the news and len ween picked it up and said well okay i, I can play with that i can create something from that and then yeah. jlgl drew it like a concord so it was in the news yeah well that's you know a little fun fact and we all know that the super people they can save planes. <laughs> That's their best thing. Superman especially, yeah. So when he goes to Star Labs, we've got, um, you know, the Metal Men already there being examined, etc. And uh, we find out mm -hmm. that this is the first meeting between Superman and the Metal Men, which I found a little surprising because it's already 1978. But yeah. he's got a team-up book that just started, you know, and much later than the Batman. So, like, Batman's met everyone because he started meeting people in 1969, but Superman's only started teaming up with people in 1978. <laughs> well, Superman's a loner, you know. And Batman always loved company. <laughs> yeah. But what, what's fun <laughs> is that now all these writers have a chance to draw or write a lot of these first meetings. And we don't think about it, but it's like, yeah, they're, they're going to mostly be first meetings unless it's a, a Justice yeah. League or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And, of course, it's not the middlemen without funny bits of business. We saw the tennis tin here is being squeezed you know there's hardly any room yeah. for him on the examination table because they're all five and lead is taking up so much space 
you know, and then when they talk to Superman, they're very fanish, except for Mercury, who thinks he's not so hot. <laughs> but, you know, Clyburn has to shout, you know, she's got the results and she has to say, Superman, Superman, you know, can you tear yourself away because they're making so much noise. And so, and he's embarrassed. You can yeah. see he's got red cheeks. He's embarrassed over Tina's attentions. So all of these little comic bits of business are, I think, integral to the Metal Men's charm. You need that in a Metal Men story. Yeah. And Superman plays it so well also. I mean, he he's the kind of character who, you know, would be kind of embarrassed of uh, Tina's little advances. And because Superman can be very serious and, you know, uh, the world is in danger. But even back then, he was uh, he's a fun loving guy. And again, all the expressions are right. You know, it's Gold who gives him the the handshake because, oh, yeah. I mean, he's the buff one. He's the guy who is the Superman of the group. Uh, you know, Iron is, is kind of cheering on. Tin is very, I don't know, he's got sweat coming out of his head. I mean, he's he's shy. He's yeah, the shy and also one. Lead. Lead is kind of shy. You know, he's like, uh, he has his hands yeah. behind his back. And then, of course, the the heart's coming off of Tina's head and she's... She immediately takes him by the arm. He is the Doc Magnus here because usually she's after Doc Magnus. Doc Magnus is, uh, you know, he's a pretty boy, but he's no Superman. He's an action scientist with a strong pipe, but there's no, <laughs> he's not there. Seems like Tina gravitates towards a certain kind of square-jawed hero, you know. His loss is Superman's gain, but also he never liked Tina's advances. She's his creation. I mean, he can't be attracted. Can he? Well, it would be creepy, right? Yeah, it would be very creepy. And I mean, in the now retconned 1993 miniseries, she was his wife. Actually, yeah. They were all his friends and she was his love and they were all killed or, you know, almost dying. And he put them inside the responsometers and then made, you know, that's the origin of why he made robots in the first place. And then they're acting yeah, like yeah. his friends, but they're not really his friends. They just have that personality molded onto them. You know, I've saved something of my wife, but... It's also yeah. not her, so he's not reciprocating. That was the story in uh, in the 1993 miniseries. I mean, some people probably liked it. A lot of people didn't. And that's why it ended up being retconned eventually. Yeah, being just a fever dream, basically. The worst case. One character we haven't talked about at all is IQ. Yeah, I, I never even knew IQ existed. I mean, he's in the who's who. That's how I knew him in the first place. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Hawkman. Well, old Hawkman. I've I've been reading up a bit, and you know, I'm warming up to Hawkman. <laughs> but this is an old Hawkman villain. I get it. Super villain team up here. You expect Camo is enough, but IQ is in it. I will tell you, he was not well known when this came out either. Pretty unexpected, but he hadn't been seen since Hawkman number seven back in 1965. That's 13 years prior. Okay. And that was only his second appearance. So in other words, this is only his third. So it makes sense for Superman since he kind of has his powers the same way, the, the, like the sun, but they're all mental. So I was thinking like Superman is kind of the Hulk and this guy is the leader. Kind of feels like that. But Supes has Luthor. So that, I mean, a character like this is not strictly necessary. <laughs> Having him here creates the whole Jeopardy with the sun, obviously. That's, you know, that only works that way. Yeah. Well, he creates this Jeopardy with the sun, but I think the big thing is he called Kemo. Because he's just trying to fix his, uh, yes, he's the villain. But he's trying to fix his mistake, yeah. He's not the kind of supervillain that wants to, you know, destroy the world. He just wants to, you know, be smart and he's trying to fix the mistake. So he doesn't care if he, uh, you know, hurts people along the way. He just wants his thing done and he's a bit careless. And bringing Kemo 
all the way to his because he kind of summoned, I guess. I guess camo. that's the immediate threat. And then, you know, having the sun explode is the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> camo is almost accidental because he needs camo to shoot him into the sun, you know. Yeah, exactly. I like on page 15 when he realizes his mistake, the face bomb. That's a great bit. And then, you know, you're underground <laughs> yeah. somewhere, giant lab, high ceilings, camo sitting like on a, <laughs> on a giant chair. I mean, the visuals yeah. are pretty cool. They are. But he also needs to control camo, you know, actively because otherwise camo is going to try to destroy him. He's not really under IQ is a big loser, you know? It's like he made this big mistake. Yeah, well. He's got camo, but he can't really control him much. He gets in his own way. He thinks he's smarter than he actually is, as proven several times. Oh, well, yeah. He's probably one of the dumbest smart villains. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the calculator's probably looking at IQ going, oh. <laughs> okay, so they find him using... A giant magnet, which is iron. <laughs> that, that's that's fun. I mean, I want to see these things when I see the metal men. It's an electromagnetic beam, so it should be you should be able to find it. Although, truth be told, can't Superman use supervision to kind of see the beam? Oh well, then you got to leave something to do to the guest stars. Yeah, I think yeah. my favorite one of my favorite bits is actually Superman walking in and seeing that there's again a mistake in the math. Yeah, <laughs> and on the expression, you idiot. <laughs> Didn't you bother to triple check these figures? And he erases it with his hands. It's a, it's a blackboard. He erases it with his hands. And then he writes the real answer. And, I mean, he's pissed. And this is like he came in too late to stop Camo from being shot. So he has this conversation. And then he has to catch up with a beam of energy that's going at light speed. <laughs> I actually did the math there. And uh, he he talked for about... I'm going to say about, because I'm not really sure, I mean, how quickly he was talking. But it's about 35 seconds for that whole dialogue. The beam is going at the speed of light. Speed of light is quite quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and speed of light for 35 seconds, that's 10.5 million kilometers. If you're doing things in miles, you do the math. But that's far. <laughs> so 35 seconds at light speed Superman went incredible speeds to catch up to that beam. And to beat it to the sun, yeah. That's Wally West speed. It's about eight minutes to the sun, right? Yeah. So it's he's lost 35 seconds, and then so he has to make up that time and still beat the beam. He just makes yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and then he takes it, and he's, you know, he's passed out for a while where he's in space near the sun, not breathing. This is the Superman, the pre-crisis Superman. The power levels are there for this to happen. But it's still, it's kind of dodgy. It is, but, you know, he knows the fate of the world is is in the balance. So, I mean, he's pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. The blast from the chemo beam is the big splash. You know, it's the big panel on the page. But the three little panels, these three little square panels are so dramatic. You know, we only see like a straight line and another little straight line just trying to catch up and Superman going so fast that he's, I mean, completely blurred and blue. He goes faster than he ever went to take a bullet. Superman's awesome. And that beam just returns back to Earth. So Chemo yeah. is recreated. However, this happened, of course, like a chemical beam. It's not, not necessarily a thing either. You know, it's comic book science. Yeah, uh, and he's right. back and he's uh, in six different bodies because, of course, there are six metal men who have to fight him. So they get a chance yeah. to fight him. Each metal man can fight one body. 
which is about the right, the same size as they are. So that's that's a, a visual that we haven't seen before. They're always going up against a giant together, but here they each have to, to do their own little thing and show their own little power one after the other. I'm kind of surprised that Mercury at no point, even in this, mentions that Mercury is the only metal that, that's liquid at room temperature because <laughs> yeah. he always says that in the old issues, he's always going on about that. There's not a, an issue that goes by where he doesn't remind us of this. At this point, I wonder, was there another metal that they found that could kind of do that. So, you know, <laughs> let's not say that because it's uneducational. This is a big fight. And at the same time, you know, IQ is out of it. He's been turned into, they say stone. Stone. So I don't know what chemical turns a person into stone, but it, a calcification has occurred anyways. I mean, I don't know how chemo's powers work, but these six little chemos we learn are as powerful as the big one. So we have six times the power or the chemical power. So yeah, the metal men, they do not get to beat the small chemo. No, because it seems to be going well, but then as soon as they start spitting, you know, they melt everyone. Um, and, yeah. and they're actually, yeah. they're kind of, they're very melty and they seem dead. They're going to go into intensive care. Oh, yeah. Chemo returns to a combined state and becomes a giant again. And then Superman has woken up. And shown up, says, you flattened me once before, but not this time, you know. Maybe he means the beam. Yeah, okay. I will take it as he meant, like, you flattened me once when you were a beam, but this time I'm prepared for you. But because there hasn't, I don't know that there has been a chemo Superman fight before this point. So it kind of felt weird to me that he was saying, you did it, you flattened me before, but I think he, mean, he meant like two pages ago. Yeah. Okay, I'll yeah. accept that. <laughs> I just love that Superman comes in and calls him shorty. <laughs> You flattened me once, Shorty. He's a giant. He's fighting a giant and calls him Shorty. Beautiful. The fight is so intense that Kemo gets so warm and hot that he gets white hot and almost ready to blow. And then, you know, Superman does what Superman does and just throws the baddie into space. And uh, he explodes and he becomes the ozone layer, <laughs> which yeah. protects the Earth from the sun's <laughs> ravages until the sun settles down. Oh, that's so funny because, you know, when Superman comes in and he did a boo-boo on the, the math test. The sun's going to be fine, you <laughs> idiot. <laughs> it's just a matter of time, don't you see? For that moment, Superman had Doc Brown's voice. But Chemo as the ozone layer, that does not seem healthy. <laughs> no, no. I'm not sure that's as good a solution <laughs> as, as Superman thinks it is. And then, of course, the metal men die or appear to die or Superman has to do the operation. Jeanette is sitting outside, waiting, worried. Like, you're a scientist. Why isn't it yeah. you? Why aren't you assisting? Like, what's going on in this room that only Superman can do it? I don't know, but <laughs> after a wait, he thinks it's he's failed. Dear God, the metal men are dead. If they were ever alive, Superman, they're robots. And then, of course, they walk in. They're all smiling. They've gotten better, you know, like that. And then you had very sexy platinum action where she wraps herself around Superman and he kind of looks in our direction. Yeah. <laughs> He's about to melt at room temperature himself. Yeah, I think that this Superman is played by uh, Brandon Routh. Okay. Very expressive. Yeah, yeah. Who fared better? How well does this fit each of their stories or atmospheres? Is this a Superman story, Bass, or is this more of a Metal Men story? Does Chemo make it a Metal Men story, or does that whole solar angle mean it's more of a Superman one? What do you think? Well, I think it started off... As a Metal Men story, the whole Superman in the the plane thing was kind of a weird, just to, to let us know that he has like problems with his heat vision. Then he goes to Star Labs. I mean, he makes a doctor's appointment. 
that's basically what happens to Superman. So at the beginning, everything is metalman. Then Superman goes to the doctor and it becomes a Superman story. So uh, Superman kind of hijacks this story along the way. And I think that's why Mercury was pissed off at him, at, you know, at that point. I think maybe a metalman story, because as you say, it started off with them. Camo is prominent and IQ doesn't belong to anyone. It's like a Hawkman character. So he's neither Superman or metalman. Yeah. But the way that Superman is used where he acts as if he's Doc Magnus the way Platinum acts with him, the, he operates on the... Yeah, yeah, So yeah. he's just Doc Magnus with superpowers. In other words, this would be a Metal Man story, and they just, like, swapped out the male lead. I think you're right. All right. I think this is a Metal Man story all the way through. I'll take the win. Uh, yes. <laughs> cool moves. What is Superman's coolest move? My God. Superman catching up to the beam, to the chemo beam, 35-second head start. I mean, 10.5 million kilometers ahead of him, he races and intercepts. I mean, that's that's very cool. I think it's the math moment. <laughs> Your math is wrong. <laughs> you idiot. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's also exploding chemo in orbit. And, uh, you know, yeah, sure. But, yeah. <laughs> but the math but moment the math. is the one I wasn't expecting. Uh, what about the Metal Men's? I mean, I know they're never going to beat Camo that way, but I love it when the Metal Men just go all hammers and pickaxes. Just love these big fight scenes with all the Metal Men all over the place. So that's, I think they're just cool. And when they pickaxe and hammer, that's that's when I like them the most. Okay, and that happens a number of times. I think I'm going to say the giant magnet to track IQ. I mean, that's a, an important yeah, bit yeah, of the cool. story. It's a cool visual. It's team up with Superman. What about dumb or weird moves? What do you think for Superman? <laughs> well, well, the super doctor engineer Superman operating on the metal men, not knowing anything about him. He probably doesn't know what makes him tick, but he is super smart and I guess he could figure it out. But, you know, he's a super scientist pre-crisis, but he's also, why don't you go get Doc Magnus? You're so fast. We yeah. know you're fast. You can yeah. get Doc Magnus yeah. and come back before they they die, you know. So yeah, I agree. That's that's the weird moment. What about the Metal Men's? I just don't get how they couldn't overcome six small camos. They're small camos. I don't get it. Just all of a sudden they start spitting and they all fail at beating them. I I that was just dumb. They always work together usually, and now they weren't working together. I that was just dumb. I will say the weird move is the tennis. I think, well, I think Mercury would be a very wet and gooey ball. Remember, there's a heat wave. That's very true. That is very true. So I don't know. I think it would be like a wet spot with a responsometer sticking out of it. This is what Mercury would be in the story. Uh, I don't yeah. think he makes a good tennis ball at all. I was like, like, like Mercury isn't rubbery. It doesn't bounce. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's very liquid. Yeah, there's no metal man I would use as a tennis ball. The metal men can go get a ball somewhere. Couldn't you? Yeah. Maybe they just they just wanted to hit Mercury. Maybe it's it's maybe it was a, a you know attitude adjustment. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey Mercury, get a better attitude and but they won't. There you go. Finally, we talk about the friendly farewell, which is a team up tradition. How does this one rate? They survived the operation. Even Mercury is smiling. Platinum wants to know what he's doing tonight. Yeah, I liked it too. Even, you know, even at the end there, Superman breaking the fourth wall, looking right at us with that goofy smile. I, I liked it. It was a fun goodbye for a fun comic book. Definitely. So we'll take a break for a couple of promos and then we'll be back with our special features. 
Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus. We started with the very first issue, and our coverage goes all the way through breakdowns. We're going issue by issue in release order, tackling two comics per episode, both a Justice League America issue and a Justice League Europe issue. Now, along the way, we're also taking time out for special episodes covering the quarterly book, interviews with various comic book creators, discussing the plethora of spin-off series, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and more. And when we're all done, we'll wrap up our coverage by looking at the 2003 and 2005 stories formerly known as the Justice League, and I can't believe it's not the Justice League. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Batman. Martian Manhunter. Captain Atom. Fire. Ice. Rocket Red. The Flash. The Elongated Man. Maxwell Lord. Elrond. Power Girl. Renard de Rousse. I mean, Crimson Fox. Guy Gardner. Metamorpho. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort! Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Wanna make something of it? Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. They were gods to the Greeks and Romans. Eternal beings of immense power and influence. And then they vanished from the face of the earth. Now they're back after a long trek through the stars. Mercury, Eros, Athena, and the rest. And what they want is nothing short of turning our world into a paradise. One man stands in their way. Will Magnus, the scientist who has uncovered these gods are really sophisticated machines who want to make us just like them. Earth will never be the same after the coming of the Star Men. Will Magnus tries to outfox them every week this month in Amalgam Comics' newest crossover event to stop all crossover events. The age of mechanization begins now. We are back, and we're talking about the bonus team-up. It's our monthly feature Ooh. in which each of us proposes, in this case, a perfect metal men team-up. What do you have? Well, to keep the everything must be metal theme, oh? I would team up the metal men with Iron Maiden, the heavy metal <laughs> rock band. <laughs> no. I have an elevator pitch over here. They try to help Bruce Dickinson, who is the leader, the singer of Iron Maiden, to find and rescue the other rock band, Led Zeppelin. I don't know. They go in a Zeta Beam type thing and go to the music universe. Uh, it must be part of the infinite DCEU or something. Sure, I'm guessing. Sure. It's somewhere, somewhere out there. The Metalman and Iron Maiden somehow fuse to become amalgamated. They find an evil version of the Metalman uh, made of, uh, you know, radioactive metals, of course. And these evil Metalmen are trying to find a way to fuse with Led Zeppelin. The rockers, they get into this musical combat sequence. It's a big music fight, but every notes and stuff like that, all the, the music in the, the pictures look like the metal men fighting. The evil metal men fail. And when they fail, they ask, how did Iron Maiden or the Iron Maiden men uh, were so powerful? How did they fuse? And it's revealed that the fusion was possible because of the rock heart, which is a powerful force of nature that can only be used for good. Wow. I don't know how you resisted 
making that giant mummy that the Iron Maiden has on, on stage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Eddie. Uh, Eddie. Eddie. I, I, it was a fleeting thought. Eddie and Chemo. You know, like oh. a big giant. Hey, that's why we, uh, you know, we work in groups. <laughs> that's why we were right as a team. <laughs> as a team, yeah. That's why That's why that happened. I got to tell you, I neglected to fill in this slot on <laughs> <laughs> in our document, I was like, oh, no, I, I jumped over it. I kind of knew early on from, the, you know, we were doing this, the synopsis. And I was going, wait a minute. I What's my bonus team up? But I think you said something earlier that kind of resonated with me. Because there are classic Silver Age characters born in the yeah. early 60s. They stretch. One of them is strong. There's one girl in the group. You know, do you know where I'm going with this? I think so. The Fantastic Four. So what about a DC Marvel crossover? It's the Metal Men and the Fantastic Four. Doc Magnus is just another Reed Richards. Yeah. He goes to consult. Doctor Doom gets in on it, who looks like he's made of metal, but it's an armor. You could do a fun, you know, whimsical FF Metal Men, FFMM (laughs) story uh, (laughs) out of this, you know. Yeah. Absolutely, because you could have this big, uh, you know, Fantastic Four Metal Men fight because the Fantastic Four think that they were created by Doctor Doom, you know. And with all the Marvel, you know, superhero beatdowns, they just go, oh, we're both heroes. And then everybody's against Doctor Doom. And, oh, that would be great. Yeah, And if, if you want a six on six, you just have that day. Uh, Herbie the robot and She-Hulk are there, you know, like Herbie <laughs> yeah. is a robot already. He's kind of like he's the tin, maybe, yeah. you know, and She-Hulk can be the uh, iron thing is the lead. Oh, yeah. Gold is Doc Magnus is a Reed Richards, but I guess gold is also Reed Richards, tensile kind of stringy kind of character. And then you got Mercury, who is the jerk. So Human Torch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. One who melts and one who burns, you know. Oh, and this could be a great, like, science-y type thing where iron and lead could be transformed themselves into boxing gloves for the the thing oh nice and you know you could have like a human torch heating up someone you know till they i I mean there's a lot of possibilities and of course sue would might be like jealous of especially we're doing like a 60s kind of vibe sue would be jealous of platinum because she would give her attentions to read it'd be fun (laughs) all right what's next each time we have a different segment based on you know what series we're looking at with bass and dc comics presents we call it whatever happened to and this time uh, we ask whatever happened to the girl who fainted on page two oh my that poor little thing. She's a looker. She's certainly a looker. And that's exactly why I think that she has a dormant metagene and she wakes up with power of heat. She's now like a solar powered superhuman. Of course, I'm taking my cue from IQ here. She and her boyfriend, they play around with the powers. You know, she can emit light, uh, the full spectrum, uh, including infrared. These are, of course, heat beams and, uh, you know, ultraviolet spectrum. Also, she goes to that, and these are basically UV lasers. So, so she becomes a crime fighter called Heatstroke, and the boyfriend becomes her reflective shield-wielding sidekick, Sunscreen. <laughs> sunscreen! Because there is a Heatstroke in the Masters of Disaster, but Sunscreen, that's that's a new one. I like it. Well, I mean, he, he has these two shields that are very reflective, so he can, you know, bounce the heat waves and the heat things and the lasers from her girlfriend he'd be a great sidekick (laughs) but in my version it's more mundane uh she she (laughs) wakes up on the next page you know and we see it she's like she wakes up to see camo coming out they're both freaking out there in the foreground um, as he carries her away from the monster the day 
at the beach is ruined because the beach has a, a glass path in it. So that glass path is cool for a bit. So she lies on it, recovers from the heat stroke. And then some of the kids have the idea of sliding along it on their beach blankets. And uh, she takes part. So the beach day is saved after all. Oh. Hell of a sunburn, though. And she spends the next couple of weeks <laughs> peeling off skin, which really hurts her modeling career. <laughs> oh, poor thing. And then she realizes she has the power. So, you know, both stories can be true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now she slides on glass all the time. Yeah, like a silver surfer or a nice man. Okay, now it's time for listener feedback from our previous episode together, in which we covered DC Comics Presents number three, starring Superman and Adam Strange. Let me start with Ido Bosnar. He says, like I said before, I just love these early issues of DCCP. As in issues one and two, the story here is, again, rather bonkers in a Silver Age kind of way, but it's still fun as hell. Of course, the lovely art by Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, certainly does much to smooth over any shortcomings in the script. Since you guys noted the odd look of this issue's villain, ever since I was a kid, I thought he should have squared off against the Golden Age Jay Garrick Flash just because they have such similar headwear. By the way, there may not yet be a Tom and Harry who have been Robin, but so far we have had a Todd, Dick, and Carrie. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> yes. Uh, Captain Entropy says Cisco and Bass are a great podcasting team. I just wanted to say that. Regarding Adam Strange, he seemed to take over whatever book he was featured in and made it about him. This was solely on account of his considerable and, you know, strange drama. I guess we could also call it baggage, since it all seemed to make the Zitabeam connection with him every time. That said... I really like the guy. He comes with all the stuff Bass said. I do say stuff. and uh, <laughs> Which is a lot. And he's super resourceful to boot. Ange says the depowered Superman from Kryptonite Nevermore didn't last that long. Not even a year after that two-thirds depowering, he was back to bathing in the sun. So, I mean, the superpowers that we see in this one <laughs> are also like the repowered Superman. As for the ultimate team-up, how about the Zeta Beam does some time wonkiness and Adam Strange is sent back to the 40s to team up with Cliff Secord, the Rocketeer? Now, that would be awesome. Whether or on purpose or by blissful ignorance, I noticed Bass did not mention Tom King's Strange Adventures, in which Tom King writes a Tom King story, turning Adam Strange into a self-centered, genocidal, traumatized character. If you like Adam Strange, don't read this. <laughs> and David S. Gutierrez says, also thinks there's something wrong with Tom King. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I kind of skipped over it. I, I didn't do it on purpose, and I came back and I, I... Yeah, you read it since, right? We talked about it. I really didn't like it. So oh, there you go. <laughs> I really Bucky749 says a great show. I remember reading this story in a reprint and it's still the only Adam Strange story I've ever read. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's funny. Chris Franklin says fun discussion. I have to admit, I think I like the concept of Adam Strange better than most of his stories post-Silver Age. That Mark Waite uh, early JLA issue was one of the exceptions. Everyone seems to want to drag shiny Silver Age Adam through the mud. These writers really need therapy. Or if you want to express yourself through comics in a dark way that doesn't reflect the intention of the original creators, invent your own John Carter-like archetype and muck him up all you want. I did catch that last image of Clark winking at the camera, a la George Reeves and hundreds of other comics panels before it. It was lifted by our beloved pal, Zoom Yukinori, for his Zoom's Who entry, 
on this version of Superman. There's a Superman entry. That's the exact panel he used. It was controversially left out of the original Who's Who. So, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but the stretchy cape. Nobody wants to acknowledge that. <laughs> I don't blame him. Martin Gray says, uh, amongst a lot of things, I love classic Adam Strange, and seeing him recognized as a hero on Earth was terrific. The villain is a classic moustache twirler, and the plot was convoluted Bronze Age brilliance. Win. Tim Price says, wait, did you guys talk about Adam Strange's role in Invasion on this episode? You must have, right? I'm very forgetful, so I could have heard you but not remembered. I only care because it lets me relive your delightful Invasion podcast briefly. Well, good, Tim. I was afraid there for a second you were being very passive-aggressive. <laughs> uh, Chris Pine, but not that Chris Pine, uh, said, I'll be honest, for me, it was not a very engaging issue to read, but I did enjoy the episode. This is what we do, people. And the criticism on the science of the comic books, especially this one. And I appreciate the Adam Strange walkthrough because, to me, he's always been just that guy with the weirdly named rays and the helmet. He looks like he was from the 50s. He was. He was. <laughs> he was. He was from the 50s. Well, that's the end of the mailbag. That's the bottom of the bag. Whew. So thanks for teaming up with me, Bass. Oh, my pleasure. Let me reveal that the next time we speak, we'll be covering DC Comics Presents number five, Superman. Man and Aquaman. Woo-hoo. I have a feeling it's been covered on the network before, but not by us. We're going to have fun with it. I love Aquaman. Always did. I can't wait to do this. All right. A reminder that we do have a Patreon. So if you like this content, want more like it, please think about making a monthly or a one-time donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. This month, we are proud to team up with our sponsor, Alan W. Wright, the bold outlaw. We also enjoy reading your thoughts, and the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com, uh, where there's also a, an image gallery, so lots of nice art from this issue will be on there. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or find us on Twitter at FW Podcasts. We'll read your comments on this issue when Bass is back with us. But next month, the cycle begins anew, and I'll be here with Shag as we continue his coverage of Marvel Team Up with issue number 143. And on that, See you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, justice is a team effort.